Hi, this is Julie, and a note about this episode. We were recording it and having so much fun doing so, we went very long and decided that this was such a special episode on kids and dogs and moms that we would present it to you for Mother's Day in two parts. So, after you listen to Your Family Dog episode 120, make sure to tune in to 120.5. Now, without further ado, here we go. Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with Tina Spring, and we have a very special guest. Of course, we say that every week, but then I think every time we have a guest, but I think all of our guests are very special, so it's not that I'm lying, and they're all very special. Anyway, we have a special guest today, and uh, it's Dr. Sarah Wyckoff who has her PhD in biocultural anthropology and her master's in occupational therapy. She has been a practicing occupational clinician with a specialty in pediatric development for, oh, somewhere close to a millennial, a millennium, or not close to a millennial. Um, I don't, she didn't have any millennials, but she has been practicing for a very long time. And is I now, raised a millennial. That's true. She did raise a millennial. Um, and she is now a professor of uh, research um, in occupational therapy at St. Augustine University for Health Sciences here in San Diego, where I'm visiting. She's also my sister. And for many years, we have talked a lot about the similarities between dogs and kids and the way in which we approach problem solving with them. And I think it really came home to us one day when Sarah was telling me about this little boy who had been diagnosed with ADD and uh, ADHD, because he was hyperactive too. And Sarah said that it the diagnosis didn't feel right to her. And what she was finding was that he had a very busy schedule. He got, you know, his mom and he were up at six and he was at school before seven. He had school all day. Then he had after school care. Then they would, you know, go have to go grocery shopping or they'd drive to McDonald's and get home and he would get to bed late because they wanted to spend time together. And I said to her, I said, well, the th- if this were a dog, the three things that I would ask her are, what's he eating? What? Yes, Tina. What? No. Oh, I'm oh she's counting. Okay. I'm like, I thought she's telling me to time up. Okay. One, the, let's go back again. The three things that I would ask of a dog would be, one, what is he eating? Two, how much sleep is this dog getting? And three, how much exercise is this dog getting? How much play and exercise? And Sarah said, exactly. Those are the three questions that I want to ask as well. So with that, what we wanted to talk about today was the similarities between dogs and kids and what we're looking at and how do we help them learn the skills that they need to be successful as kids and dogs. So with that, Tina, do you have a question? (laughs) (laughs) They're ganging up on me, the two of them. Two pretty women with who are more credentialed than I am. I see how this is going to go. All right, so, um, so, so we started a conversation that Julie fussed us about, talking about this sleep piece, and and I would absolutely agree. I was a human foster parent, and every child who was brought to me obviously had mental retardation and was ADD and ADHD 
and had all these huge behavior disorders that miraculously in 10 days were better because learned as a foster parent that not every child that came to me had a whole alphabet soup of disorders that they couldn't all possibly all have ADD and ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder and, you know, a whole host of craziness. I actually had a child that they told me his IQ was 67. He was just tired of talking to psychologists. And so (laughs) if you held up a yellow block, he told you it was every color except yellow. And if you held up a red block, he told you it was every color except red. Like, so I think the same thing happens. I see manifest in, in my practice, the, so many of the same things, not enough sleep. People don't understand what a normal sleep cycle is and how that changes developmentally and how not providing just decent nutrition. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, some crazy extreme, but all these pieces, I just think, yes, like it's very similar. So I don't even talk to people about exercise with their dogs anymore or their kids for that matter. Because I find that everyone's exhausted. Like the exercise piece, they've overdone. They've overstimulated everybody. So Sarah, in your practice, do you see those same things? Absolutely. And in terms of the exercise, uh, one of the things that we've been playing around with lately is moms and dads are exhausted when they get home. And so are the kids. And rather than let's go out in the backyard and throw the frisbee around. Is there a way we can make just a big puppy pile, not to sit down and veg out with TV, but just a big puppy pile in the living room with everybody just cozying up, um, maybe with a snack, maybe not, but just kind of let's all decompress together. And there is a sense of decompression that happens when you are with your tribe when you get back and you reunite and you have physical contact and you hear the voices of your loved ones and you just get quiet with each other and that inherent bring your whole system back down into relaxation i don't think we know what relaxation feels like oh i would agree i would agree and so i'm kind of going the opposite I, i i still maintain exercise is vital but it has to be balanced with that decompression and i so i'm wondering do do dogs and i i would imagine i mean my i'm a cat person and my cat loves it when i decompress um so i'm assuming dogs do the same thing is that true if if, if you got to do a big puppy pile with your kids would the dog just come over and snuggle too would that be part of the so so I'll say in my experience, puppies have to be older to, re- well, so they can do it when they're itty bitty. And yeah. then there's the, there's this dis- developmental f- phase that lasts, in my experience, until they're about two and a half, where it's like trying to cuddle with a marlin. Uh, um, but, but then they get good at it again. And, and I will say, because so many of the dogs I work with in my practice are um, highly anxious. Yeah. The more we can cut, we can just like rest and just have that quiet, activating the parasympathetic nervous system, lie down, just set your hand on them, the better 
it sets up not just that cascade into sleep, but also tomorrow. Like I see that manifest in my practice a lot. What I see is that people have been pounded into them by a certain short gentleman who (laughs) has quite the cult of personality that it's all like we have to run them 40 miles a day. And I don't actually see that that, yes, I had foster kids who got off the bus and they had, they, they didn't have to, they, we found ways to burn off that whatever angst, frustration, energy stores from sitting still too long um, so that then we could move on to other things. And that was absolutely true. And I see our dogs do that as well. Um, But I think if anything, uh, in my practice, and I'll only speak for the beautiful, amazing families I work with, the kids are exhausted, mom and dad are exhausted, and the dogs are exhausted, and then everybody's mad at everybody else. And, And we blow through everyone's tolerance for frustration because brains just are not getting the serotonin they need, they're not getting the breaks they need, all that, all right. that processing, all that stuff. And that whole family cuddle pile where the parents also get the serotonin and they also reunite with their children in an, in an emotionally satisfying way, I think is important. And Tina, the whole idea that kids do need to burn off that frustration from school when they get off the bus really brings me to one of the key things I learned from Julie, which I call the funnel of fun to my parents. But Julie, what did you call it? The funnel of activity. And we did a podcast on that as well. So we'll link to that. But we call it the funnel of activity. I call it the funnel of fun because uh, kids love it when I say, okay, we're going to develop a funnel of fun for your family. And the whole point is to bring everybody down into that quiet place but you can't start with okay everybody's frenetic sit down in a pile let's 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 calm down you <laughs> can do that you, have to, <laughs> you 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 have to start where the energy is and if it's frenetic you have to start with frenetic and you have to but you have to incrementally bring it down and then down and down and if i find if my families have a set of activities at each stage, if they understand the, the principle, big, medium, little, in terms of activity, then quiet, uh, then, then you can have a, you know, a menu for each, you know, each stage. And um, then it doesn't become stale and predictable, and it works better. And, and, and families, when I do it in a family counseling meeting, they, they love it. Um, so I really, this is, this is bringing dog activity training into my child (laughs) coaching. So, well, one of the things I was going to say is, um, I'm glad you brought up the funnel of activity, um, is that with, as far as exercise goes, I think that sometimes we can also think of it in terms of play as opposed to exercise that dogs, because we talked with Karen Deeds about enrichment and we talked about play and how to teach a dog to play and how to, to interject yourself into the play to make it more effective. And so sometimes I think what kids need is maybe not the, the, the over amount of exercise because they are exhausted, but what they need is the joy of play, just like dogs need the joy of play. So that perhaps what we need to be thinking in terms of with both kids and dogs 
is yes, there's a certain amount of, of exercise you need to, to expend some energy. But what you really need, I think, is the joy of play. You need to connect to something that brings you pure joy. Because I think that's lacking in our society as well. I think people have forgotten not only what it's like to relax. I don't think there's, I know a whole lot of joyful people, you know, that really know how to find joy in the activities that they do. And it might be partly because they're they're too tired, but maybe we can work a type of play that is not going to bring you into exhaustion, but is going to bring you into joy. And that's where for kids, I think that imaginative play, having space for your imagination to roam and just wander uh, is like critical because what happens during that imaginative play is that it's almost like what happens when you're in the dreamscape. You're you're combining all these elements from all over the places and you begin to process what's going on. Uh, there's also just the silly, goofy play with your dog that is uh, amazingly therapeutic. If, if you can teach your kid how to play with your dog appropriately. Right, right. Well, the, um, the other thing I was thinking too is that the whole idea of, of the funnel of activity and the idea of you know appropriate exercise and play and relaxing and connecting all plays into both how a dog and a child views the world, which is safe and unsafe. And I think Tina really hit on something when she was talking about, you know, good nutrition for these kids and a regular sleep schedule and, you know, regular play activity provides them with that routine that gives them predictability in their world and it's predictability that helps them to feel safe. And I think it's the same thing for our dogs. Our dogs need to have an idea. Predictability doesn't, is not the same as rigidity. It doesn't mean that breakfast has to happen every day at 6 a.m. It's breakfast has to happen. Lunch has to happen. Dinner has to happen. Homework has to happen. You know, downtime has to happen. All this stuff has to happen. It doesn't have to be in a rigid schedule, but it's predictability that's going to create the element of safety in this child's world or in this dog's world so that they are freed up to be fully themselves. Now, absolutely. Okay, great. I got that right. What do you think, Tina? So I agree. I I think um, for both our kids and our dogs, them understanding that we will handle the stuff that they are not powerful yet enough or able to handle or that's anxiety provoking that they can I think those boundaries that predictability to a certain extent also matriculates down to when things go nutty like ask me like I, I, you don't have to worry about that that's none of your beeswax that's grown up stuff or that's my owner will take care of that um and that starts with can we handle the ugly stuff like can we handle when the child is crazy overtired and frustrated or their feelings are hurt when when um <laughs> A friend of a, a dog trader friend, Rebecca Johnson, explained spoon theory to me, right? When they're out of spoons. Um, and, okay, well, I'm not going to, I can remember saying this to some foster kids, like, I'm not going to hold against you the mean things you say to me when you're tired or hungry. <laughs> right? Um, and I'm the same way with a puppy. Yeah, I was giggling earlier because Julie had overheard me while, um, while I was 
prepping for the appointment, telling a puppy that's here, she's 13 weeks old, little sweet Luna, um, that yelling at me because she was overtired <laughs> was not actually going to help. And that she just needed to take a nap, right? And <laughs> and our funnel of fun for her had started with go out and play with one of my infinitely patient adult dogs. And then move our bowel and our bladder. And then have some quiet laying in the sun. And some playing with the human stuff and then I was like okay and now it's time for a nap and she's like it is not time for a nap you kept me up too long so we do get it wrong I get it wrong I can remember constantly saying to foster kids like dude I'm sorry I blew you up I kept you up too long right like it'll be okay let's go rock like we're gonna go rock and then we'll feel better we'll read a story and we'll feel better and then we'll go to sleep um but I think parents are really just worn out and they don't Mm -hmm. in many cases especially this younger generation of parents who I love. They're so kind. They're so thoughtful. They have a ridiculous amount of pressure to get it perfect, which is, I love y'all. Your, your, your sins are absolved. It'll be imperfect. That's where the magic is. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. But they, yes. but they, uh, they really like, I'm not sure they entirely have a pattern of how, how to do it, right? They know how to entertain their kids or their or their dogs, right? Like I take the dog on four one hour walks a day and then we go to the dog park and then we do brain puzzles and then we, and I'm like, when is he sleeping, right? And, and when is he learning how to just entertain himself? And where's the time for spontaneity? <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> There's no time. Um, I, 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 I completely agree. I feel like the pressure on this 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 next generation of young adults is uh, stupendous, and I worry about all of the experts and all of our opinions uh, and what we're doing in terms of and don't forget this and don't forget that. And I also worry about them and when is their time to go through their own funnel of fun? Uh, when are are they nourishing themselves while they nourish their dogs and their kids are they getting the sleep they need are you know are that's that self-care is um it's got to be all wound up within the context of taking care of your children and dogs right it's got to be mixed in there as part of the formula is self-care and uh yeah, that's, it's a big, big deal. I think that um, there's a, I think you're right. I think there's a real pressure on this generation. And I think part of it is because this generation was, was raised to be told what to do. They've been raised by daycare and everything has been scheduled. So they haven't had any time to figure things out on their own. They haven't had time or they haven't had the space to figure out what it is that they actually do enjoy. What is it that does bring them joy? What is it that um, is is meaningful to them and what isn't meaningful? And I think also, too, they've been having so many things presented to them and they've been so wired on electronics that their brains are wired differently. I think that the electronic generation has a different way of, of thinking and viewing the world. And I can't help but think that that makes a big difference in how you 
interact with others that you have these expectations of watching so much reality TV, the way things are, like my son-in-law right now, who's in construction, he says the worst thing that happened to the construction industry was HGTV, because people have all these unrealistic expectations on on houses and what you can do and how much it's going to cost. And they don't understand the nature of what they're asking their contractor to do, because they see these little miracles on TV that if you saw behind the scenes, really aren't. So I wonder if sometimes because they haven't had a chance to explore things on their own, to you know play with tools, to play with sticks, to figure out how things work on their own, that they have, they don't have any idea about sort of how the world works in some way. And ways. how messy. Yeah. It's okay to be. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that life is well, and that it's okay to be it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be confused. That we'll figure it out, right? Like we'll fix it. Um, I I do not. I, I always feel really um, sad for for when I meet those families where usually it's mom usually, but she, it seems like she's holding in her heart that her children and her dogs should never, ever be unhappy. <gasps> right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and my, yeah. and so is- she's, she's just a cusp of a human being at this point, right? Like there's just, there's dust and a little bit of skin on the outside. Cause that woman is exhausted. Mm-hmm. She's exhausted. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like frustration teaches. Right. 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 You have to have frustration in your life. It's important. You just don't want it to overflow into crazy. Right. But but that doesn't mean a sm- dose. It's dosage. Right. Right. And- stress is how you learn. In fact, we did a, we did an episode with um, Dr. Michael Morales. We talked about stress, positive stress. I mean, that you need to have stress in your life in order to learn. If it's totally stress free, you're not learning. And um, but it needs to be manageable you need to have a little bit of arousal think of it you probably do better on a test if you're just a little bit anxious because you're much more aware as opposed to being completely relaxed so um but you don't want to be so anxious i remember when i was in college once i'd been up studying and studying and studying i think i'd studied for close to a decade for this test or something and i was in the breakfast line and i hadn't been sleeping and i hadn't been and i fainted in the breakfast line from the stress um and it's like Maybe this is telling me something about moderation <laughs> that um, yeah. you need to eat, you need to sleep, you need to, to study and you need to do it in reasonable ways. And you as a college student needed to fail on that. Yeah. Uh, and, and take it to an extreme to find out and, and allowing yourself to 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 go. Uh Oh, this was too much. Sometimes that's what our kids need to find out that's what we need to find out and it's it's really okay so sarah how would you say to the average mama right who's or dad who's listening Mm -hmm. to the podcast how to know how much of that frustration is healthy frustration and stress and when we've crossed over into something else and then how and when to intervene oh that's 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 the million dollar question uh, <laughs> <laughs> you I'll send you my bank to... account later. <laughs> right. Um, it's 
it's a moving target. Uh, it's there's a threshold that's constantly changing in terms of what is possible for people, and that's part of the the art of reading the ecosystem at the moment. There, it depends on time of day and nutrition and I mean you've got to go through that whole thing are they hungry are they angry are they thirsty um, are they are they tired um, and, and 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 monitor all of that first of all in your brain and 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 take care of those issues so there's always that piece that you constantly hold in the background especially with little kids um, and, and teenagers, uh, then, then it's, you know, you inherently know your child. Okay. You are the expert on your child. You know, if you've got an explosive kid that you're not going to take it as far, you're going to do micro doses of frustration versus the tolerant kid who's got a temperament that's, that's easier. Um, so you, you trust your gut, you read your own gut on what you, if you find yourself tensing up, chances are that's the time to step in and intervene. On the other hand, there are, there are many families that, like your mom you were talking about, who feel like any set of tension is too much. And they, their, their own nervous system is wired to go, oh, there's any tension, I must stop it. And then it's up to you to develop your tolerance for frustration. Um, and, oh, man, I just didn't give you any kind of good answer at all. But No, it's just, I think you gave an honest answer. Yeah. yeah and, it's, it's, and it's I so, so dog trainer clients all hate the it depends answer. But, <laughs> yes, and yet it is. It does. Right? Like, Julie, do you say it depends 150 yes. times a day? I do. And, you know, I'm I, like, well, well you're going to hate this, but, but it depends. depends. Well, one of the things that, that I, I tell people, too, is, is that I think, Sarah, what, what, you're, what you're pointing out here is something that I feel like sometimes I need to point out to my clients. Life is freaking messy, man. Um, I can't give you a this is exactly the point at which you intervene. I said you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to intervene too soon. Sometimes it's going to be too late. But it's the experience of doing it that's going to teach you when you need to do it. And the other thing is, is there is rarely anything that if you do it wrong, the world's going to end. Because I found in parenting that if something would happen between my daughters and I didn't handle it right, it was a virtual guarantee God was going to give me a second chance on that one. And that even if I did handle it right... Even if I did handle it right, there's a 90% chance I'm going to have it again. So I can mess it up that time. And my hope was that I would bring them into adulthood, not with a major psychosis, but a couple of minor neuroses. And we'd be able to move forward with that. And and realizing that that it's just it's a matter of trying and failing and trying and succeeding and trying to bring a sense of humor with it as well. And that is part of what's necessary. It's that third phase that we don't talk about, which is the phase of repair. Right. You've gone too far, you've gone too short, and now there's a bigger mess. And how do you repair? 
How do you repair what didn't quite work out the first at the first phase of your intervention or non-intervention? How do you repair that? And that's an important piece of the cycle that we don't often teach is that repair part afterwards. And if you learn how to do the repair work, whether it's I yelled at you too harshly and I hurt your feelings or I was ignoring you because I had to get this done or or whatever it is, acknowledging that something didn't work and slowing things down and doing a redo, was the kid doing the redo or the, the adult doing the redo? And the adult needs to, to be comfortable with doing redos of their own so you can model for a child. Uh, and the same thing can happen if, if the child's working with the dog and, the, and, and they over rile up the dog. They get a redo. You will you will review with, oh, gosh, it looks like, you know, our dog got too excited. Look at what happened here. What are we going to do next time? And and that's part of how you teach frustration tolerance. Right. And I, and I think as trainers of either and coaches of either for, for dealing with your dog or your child, it's remembering that third phase, which is the the repair phase, because that is an important life skill. That is an important life skill. The other thing I would say too is that is that you need to know your child or you need to know your dog. Like for example, if I've got a dog who quickly revs up, I mean revs up, and we're getting to the point where we go from zero to sixty, and we're going to spill over from arousal into aggression fairly quickly. My general advice to those owners is intervene sooner rather than later. Because if a dog spills over into aggression and he's with a child, you can have a serious problem. So a lot of it is 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 the depends thing. Whereas it's I have some puppy part some groups with with puppies where I'm intervening every thirty seconds to calm everybody down, take a treat, go back to playing before it starts to spill over into something I'm uncomfortable with. There's other groups of puppies I'm like, it's been forty five minutes. Does somebody want to interact? Because you know nothing's going on here. So I think it, a lot of it is, is, is once again, that depends. Um, but knowing that if your child is hyper excitable, perhaps early intervention rather than waiting to see what happens, because we also don't want to establish a pattern of behavior where um, things go bad. I explode. Mom, fix it. it. That's not a chain of behaviors that I want to see happening with either dogs or kids. So if we help them to learn the frustration tolerance a little bit sooner rather than later, that's probably a good thing. But that's just one example. Julie, when when you do that, I have to intervene every 30 seconds kind of thing, do you find that over time that you measure your success with, oh, it didn't happen for a whole minute. Oh, it didn't happen for three minutes. That there's this expansion. Right. Well, what I find is that sometimes with dogs um, in play is that they don't there's certain parts to play. It's, it's loud. It's loose. It's lateral. It's repetitive. Um, and it's supposed to be self-regulating. I think I remembered all my adjectives. And what I find that a lot of dogs need to learn is the self-regulation part. Play, 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 play. Stop. <sighs> play, play, play. Stop. So that they bring themselves down so they don't spill over into aggression. Um, so what I have found is that what I will do with, with, with dogs and I'm working with play groups or I'm working with trying to help an owner learn how to keep their dog from spilling over into 
a hyper arousal is you just take a break. You feel like the dog's getting too aroused. Take a break. Have him sit. Give him a treat. Take a breath. Start again. And the dog learns to insert self-regulation. And then you can then you find yourself having to do it less and less. I don't know. Tina, you look like you don't agree with me. Do you agree with me? You don't agree with me? Yes. I think we practice. And I do this with my, I did this with my kids and I do this with my dogs. I practice where I'm likely to fuss. Right. So I had um, foster kids who know their definition of no meant argue with the mom. That's not actually what no means. No means not right now. So we would just practice it. Right. Or Mm -hmm. um, come up with a bunch of different ways to successfully clean our room and then practice it maybe five or ten times a day. So it's never a really big job. Right. Um, The same thing with the dogs. If my dog is jumping on the door because he's a fool and he's super excited to go outside, it's exactly the same set of skills. We're practicing getting it right. And maybe doing 25 or 30 repetitions of that so that that becomes so that we we dig out of the crazy hole we've dug for ourselves. Right. So um, I have a pet peeve about kids going, mom, 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 mom. Like it's like being pecked to death by ducks. It makes me crazy. And so I just helped the each of the foster kids who presented with that behavior a easier way a way that was easier for me that didn't make my head jangly to work through that. So, and, and it was a very conscious, we start with like the child having no tolerance for frustration and then moved up to what I would consider a healthier kind of norm of how to get help when you want attention. But lots of, I think in terms of I'm teaching with every interaction even the ones when I'm tired and frustrated. And so I might want to instead put my energy when I have it toward teaching what I want instead of being frustrated and angry about all the garbage I don't want. That being said, like with dogs, with kids, it can't be all of the things, (laughs) right? Like pick one or two things, focus on those, make some headway, and then go from there. So um, practicing that no doesn't mean argue with me was like one of my favorite things in the whole wide world to practice. The kids thought it was funny. We thought it was funny. We just would practice it. So I taught all of my kids no, come, (laughs) stay, right, stop and stay, right? Like we just, we needed this handful of cues that I think, by the way, also all dogs need, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like what, like you need to pay attention to the fact I'm talking to you when I say your name. Um, And so we would just practice those things and we would just make a game out of it. And and in our household, um, my left pocket had things for children and my right pocket had things for dogs and the kids pretty much only made the error of which pocket to go to once, maybe twice because dogs is not as yummy as, you know, a box of raisins and, and, and they would just like, we would just get there from there. But I did for a little while there feel like a Pez dispenser of food. <laughs> it's like I was weighted down with morsels of food on each side, but, I just 
I, I often tell people, I think being a raised in this wonky dog training world made me a more loving, kind, consistent parent, um, who, who was a little bit more objective. Um, and that I was clear that whatever the crazy behaviors were, and there were some good ones, um, that was crying out for help, not crying at me. Um, and I tend to do the same thing with dogs that it's like the, the dog flipping it barbels into the wall board is a dog that's struggling, not a dog who's trying to make you crazy, right? They're not doing it at you. They're doing it because they need you. And I, I love, love this whole concept of teach what you want to see, teach, it's, you know, teach replacement behaviors, but it's very specific. This is what you can do in this situation. It's, it's very, it drives me crazy when I see parents going, slow down, slow down, rather than walk, just, you know, a specific behavior, Right. be careful, rather than, I noticed Cliff, you know, um, <laughs> instead of, you know, be careful to say, please don't walk off the cliff, you know, or right. whatever it may be. Yeah. Right. I, I tell yeah. parents, or, you know, and I think Tina and I face this a lot with, with dogs. It's like, I don't want my dog to do that. Well, that's, I don't want him to do that either. What do you want him to do instead? Let's train yeah. towards something. And, Same or the, they need to know what to do. Right. And, and no, well, he doesn't know what the mean what no means. I said, well, well, no means whole lot of things here. You know, it, it's just no is not a I, command. It's I go back to the how to train your dragon. The first one, like one of my favorite parts in that movie at both the beginning and the end are the dad says to the little boy something along the lines of I want you to stop. And the little boy goes, what? And the dad goes <laughs> that. And the little boy goes, that's all of me, (laughs) right? And I totally think that's how, well, I know, heck, as an adult, I sometimes feel that way, usually when Julie's scolding me, but it it can be, (laughs) it, um, it, I think our kids and our dogs both feel that way. And, and I think if we were to be completely like all joking aside, I think as adults, we feel that way. Like we're pulled, I think the. While the internet has a whole bunch of really awesome things, it also has a really bunch of like crazy, pressuring, insane fallout. Anybody can put anything they want on there. And so people have like, they just, we have these unrealistic expectations of perfection um, instead of thinking in terms of can we just make incremental change that over time gets us to our goal, right? I can get fat really quickly. I've seen me do it. I'm not so good at getting skinny quickly. That takes more time and effort. So, and it is that journey of a hundred itty bitty or more in my case decisions, right? Do I, do I go and grab the donut I really, really want, or do I go and grab the eight, the 20 grapes that are perhaps a better choice? Um, I don't know. I, I loved being a wife and a mom and a dog trainer. That was pretty much magic. So, um, I also remember those moments where I was ready to like pull my hair out (laughs) Yeah, but I so, think we all have those, and I, I think that, that that's it's 
it's this sense in our society today is that when you have those moments, something is terribly wrong and it needs to be fixed immediately because we all need to get back to our happy zone. And, and the thing is, is that, you know what, that's just life and it will pass. And in some ways, all too soon, which is, as Mr. Bennett says in Pride and Prejudice, just let me feel bad for the moment. It will pass and probably all too soon because he really wanted to feel the pressure of his mistakes. And I think that that is something that we can we can all appreciate is that maybe we need to feel the presence of our mistakes a little bit more and that it will pass. And maybe if we allow ourselves to feel the presence of our mistakes, we'll learn something so that we do it a little bit better the next time. Hi, this is Julie, and thanks for listening to part one of Kids, Dogs, and Moms with Tina Spring, Dr. Sarah Wyckoff, and myself. Be sure to join us for part two.